This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Dana Perino. I'm Brian Kilmeade. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, February 28th, 2022, I'm Mike Emanuel. Dr. Mehmet Oz has put his wildly popular TV career aside to run in Pennsylvania's crowded field for the U.S. Senate seat. They want a loud, bold voice in Washington to articulate that. They feel like they've been forgotten. So we're trying to make sure that Pennsylvania is remembered as the powerful commonwealth that it is. Dr. Oz weighs in on his campaign on pandemic lockdowns and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And Lisa Brady. Long before Russia's invasion of Ukraine, a silent war was underway on social media, one that China is also fighting for public opinion. It's not media, it's propaganda. And these propaganda sites are, you know, raging throughout Twitter and Facebook and all sorts of social media right now. We speak with Fox Business's Maria Bartiromo. And I'm Robert Jeffress. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Vladimir Putin ordered Russian nuclear deterrent forces to high alert, blaming sanctions and aggressive statements by Western countries. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki weighed in on ABC's This Week. This is really a pattern that we've seen from President Putin through the course of this conflict, which is uh, manufacturing threats that don't exist in order to justify further aggression. And the global community and the American people should look at it through that prism. With Putin focused on what's happening with the West, Russian appears to be caught off guard by the level of resistance by Ukrainian troops and its people. Utah Republican Senator Mitt Romney offered this assessment on CNN. I hope and I believe that that uh, Putin may well finally recognize that he made a huge error, that uh, that he was badly miscalculated how hard the people of Ukraine would fight and the nature of the world's response in this modern world with uh, with war being conducted and people filming it and passing it around the world. Putin so far has unified much of the international community against Russian aggression, with many nations urging Russia they can still take the diplomatic route. U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Linda Thomas-Greenfield explained on CNN's State of the Union. We lean in on diplomacy with the Russians uh, uh, throughout this process, and we hope that Putin would Uh, find a a way to the negotiating table. As U.S. officials weigh more options in the way of diplomacy or additional sanctions, some believe that hesitation to act is becoming a decision-making factor for Russia. Their weakness on the part of the U.S. government was quickly diagnosed and acted on by Putin, who's an aggressive tyrant, but he is wise to geopolitical affairs. Dr. Mehmet Oz is running as a Republican to represent Pennsylvania in the United States Senate. And he took advantage of weakness not only over the past few months, but for the past year as he witnessed the United States shut down energy projects, oftentimes based on ideologies that are not fundamentally going to guide us in the right direction and aren't scientifically valid either. And I'm campaigning for the Senate in Pennsylvania, and even the people serving your food, the diners, can 
carefully walk you through why natural gas is a unbelievable opportunity for this country, but we don't let it get pulled out of the soil beneath my ground in Pennsylvania, so it's not going to help our European allies when they're coping with the fact that it's going to be a cold winter without Russian fuel. So we're actually literally fueling the empire that's invading the Ukraine because of poor planning. For Pennsylvania voters who may recognize your name but are unfamiliar with you and what you would do as a politician, as a senator, what do you want them to know about you as a candidate and why you're running for the United States Senate? Well, I can actually tell exactly what I'm going to do by looking at my history on the show. I fought in the biggest medium out there, right, you know, on network television going after the big guys, big pharma, big agrochemical companies. I've taken on big tech. I've gone to war with the U.S. government, all for reasons that uh, were related to protecting my audience and now, now uh, serving my voters. And these are the kinds of battles you engage in because you do your homework. You have a bold, loud voice that can articulate exactly why you're right, and you can pull along allies. Uh, so without being a, a abrasive or arrogant, you can be assertive and achieve results. And that's what I'm hoping to bring to the voters of Pennsylvania. We spend a lot of time talking about why Washington's gotten it wrong, and they get it wrong because they don't respect our values here in Pennsylvania. Um, and if they tried to understand our values, I think it would help them guide their decisions in a more meaningful way. We can pick many examples, but let's stay on energy since so you started with it. You know, the, the, the idea of you care about caring, which is what the liberal democratic side of our political spectrum often are, says, even though they don't say it Literally, they are saying it with their actions. Well, I don't, as a surgeon, care about caring. I care about fixing, making it better. So it looks good for the green movement if we don't allow natural gas to come out of the soil and be piped across Pennsylvania into New Jersey and New England states. right? But what ends up happening is the entire New England coastline, from New Jersey all the way up to Maine, imports natural gas. They import it from South America, or they buy oil from Russia. Please explain to me why you're making the world a safer place to live avoiding the global warming concerns that people have expressed by having the stuff shipped from Colombia, which I would think takes a lot more energy than through a pipeline across uh, the Schuylkill River. As you thought about running for the United States Senate, did you ever give any thought to the fact that you probably had 95 percent popularity as Dr. Oz on TV? And then once you put an R or D next to your name in today's polarized environment, you probably dropped down to about 50 percent popularity. Any thoughts on that? Yes, lots of thoughts. It was actually 96%. <laughs> and I was so happy. Life was going well. You know, Mike, I've always been someone who ran towards the fire. I didn't want to stay in my studio, what's nice and safe, or in the operating room, which is actually a very safe place for surgeons. I, I wanted to make sure that I passed the baton to my kids. That's as shiny as the one that my parents, who are legal immigrants to this country, are brought in uh, to help with the medical shortage. Uh, they, they, I, I had a wonderful life. I owe a debt to this nation. I intend to repay it fully. Of course, winning a United States Senate seat, uh, you're in a very competitive, crowded field. Uh, talk about setting yourself apart in a crowded field. There's a lot of things that differentiate I me. Mean, one is uh, the fact that I've actually competed on the big stage. None of my competitors have, have, had, have held elective office or been on that stage addressing these broader issues. Uh, secondly, I've got the power to convene, in part because everyone knows who I am. Even if they don't like me, they want to understand me. So a lot of folks come to our town halls. They come because they want to kick the tires of the Oz campaign. Am I legitimately as conservative as they hope? Am I able to respond to their challenges, to issues that are pertinent to their lives? And what will I really do? But I'll tell you what they're saying more than anything else. Will I act on what I'm telling them? Will I keep my word? 
And that's what this election and the campaign will turn on. Who they believe will actually do that. And they want a loud, bold voice in Washington to articulate that. They feel like they've been forgotten. So we're trying to make sure that Pennsylvania is remembered as the powerful commonwealth that it is. Pennsylvania is also critical to the Republicans winning back the majority in the Senate. It's been held by Senator Pat Toomey, a Republican. I'm wondering, as he's retiring, if he's given you any good advice about campaigning, running, uh, standing out in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Pat's been a wonderful resource at many levels. He's also very insightful about what it takes to lead uh, the issues, especially in the financial sector that have uh, hindered our nation's ability to prosper. He also understands, you know, grassroots politics, which is really important. And I'll tell you, as a, as a heart surgeon, they don't teach you that in medical school. As a TV host, it doesn't come up in any of your briefings. Actually being able to go out and shake people's hands and understand what their issues are and the actual blocking and tackling and bringing a campaign, Pat Toomey's been spectacular. And, you know, he'll sit with you, just literally go through everything he thinks you need to know, offer insights, advice, and then specifically answer questions. It's incredibly helpful to have mentors like that. You shared in previous statements that a big factor in deciding to run was the federal government's response to COVID-19. What do you think was lacking in the U.S. pandemic response, and what would you be looking to do day one as a senator to remedy the issues that you saw? What we saw in COVID was symptomatic of a larger ailment in federal government, which is a authoritarian, overreaching, dysfunctional, top-down approach. Now, let me break that down a little bit. Top-down approach is the most important comment, because when you try, especially in medicine, to fiat treatment, one size to everybody out there, it doesn't work. If I gave every single American a high blood pressure medication or a drug for cholesterol, how would that work? You give people who have the risk factors the medications that they need. And here's important. If they fall through the cracks, you still have a heart attack even if you're on the cholesterol medication. You treat the person with the problem. We did the opposite with COVID. The answer was always vaccines. No matter what the problem was, the answer was a vaccine. We stripped out any treatments, held back. And even today, even today, Mike, I can't prescribe a patient a pill for outpatient COVID treatment early in their course of disease. And get it, it's not available. How is that possible two years later? These pills, by the way, one of them was available before COVID started. And so we've literally tied the hands of physicians so they cannot customize care, give the care that people would normally get from their local doctor. And we prevented them from treating the problem. We only allowed them to prevent the problem. And yeah, I'm not against vaccines. I've been vaccinated. I advocate for it for high-risk populations. But we're not going to solve COVID by vaccinating two-year-olds which is what the federal government is in hot pursuit of right now. They want to give three vaccines to children under the age of five because two vaccines aren't enough. China's become a big campaign issue in Pennsylvania's GOP primary, with many candidates looking to highlight how they would be tough when it comes to the U.S.-Chinese relationship. Break down for us uh, what being tough on China might actually look like from a federal perspective. Well, before I get to that, let me just differentiate all the candidates. One of the candidates, and I'll mention him by name, Dave McCormick, built the largest foreign-owned hedge fund ever in China, raised $1.3 billion, that's with a B, $1.3 billion, uh, raised the money, concluding last November. That's where they announced it, and then opened up the Senate offices less than two months later. So there's a little difference. I mean, one person has literally been building the financial infrastructure of China, which they will use to to fund all the things that China is doing, which includes cheating across the board, period. Not just, you know, putting tenured professor 
salaries for major universities on their payroll, which means they control what you say, but funding research that's beneficial to them, sending students over, some of whom are spying on us. Uh, they've been very involved in stealing technology from anyone who tries to go to China to do business. And this is important. Whatever they say, they just don't seem to do. They promised that they would reach a certain level of, of trade balance with us. They're not doing it. You know, I've worked with China. One of the most important things with working with the Chinese businessmen, I've not worked with the leaders, is if you catch them lying, you tell them in a polite way that you caught them, they expect to be caught because everyone cheats in China, and then they'll stop doing it for a while till you catch them again. That's how you do business there. So if you want to do that kind of work, fine. But as a federal representative of the, of the people of Pennsylvania, the number one thing I do is begin onshoring businesses from China. We have to start making this stuff in America, medications, protective gear. You can't be at a national security deficit to China and expect to do well. We saw what happens when we're just a little behind Russia. China will eat our lunch. As you speak, the Russian assault on Ukraine continues. And while the Russian forces have been met with fierce resistance, um, they outnumber the Ukrainians. What would you be calling for if elected to help the Ukrainian people and to hold Vladimir Putin accountable? We need real sanctions, not this make-believe, dilly-dallying, you know, surgeons do not lollygag into the operating room. We go into whatever we're going to do with a clear decision, and then we decisively act on those game plans. Literally, we're telling the Russians that we don't want to hurt you too bad because it might hurt some of our allies. I mean, the Germans, God bless them, they got rid of their nuclear energy mostly, and they're, you know, really dependent on your oil. So we don't want to be cold winter in Berlin. So we're not going to really do sanctions, but it's going to sound like it. Like, people don't know what sanctions really are. We're going to do the kinds of things we did after you took the Crimea, which didn't affect them at all. And we need to go and say, okay, your energy is done. You're not shipping anymore. We're going to have to find some rapid way of piping other sources of energy to Europe to deal with the next two months of cold. Uh, But we're going to hurt you. And if we don't do it now, we'll do it as soon as we're able to. But it's coming down the pike at you. Otherwise, Putin is sitting in the Kremlin saying, I can't believe this. Vladimir, come over here. And this is really cool. The, The Americans literally did nothing. I mean, they're making up these little small things, but they're not doing things that are going to hurt us. And the Germans aren't either. And what's Boris over in London? He's not going to get engaged. All of a sudden, I can't believe my good luck. It's like playing with a poker with a bunch of people who don't know how to play poker. Mm. Dr. Oz, thank you so much for your time. Have fun out on the campaign trail. Safe travel, sir. God bless you. Take care. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. This is Robert Jeffress with your Fox News commentary coming up. Tech giants have been grilled on Capitol Hill many times now, including a hearing in December after a whistleblower called out Facebook's own research about social media's impacts, especially on teens. Self-policing depends on trust. The trust is gone. Connecticut Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal not satisfied with assurances from the head of Facebook-owned Instagram. Now Russia has used social media as a weapon to help lay the false pretext for its war in Ukraine. Russian bots and spam accounts posting accusations against Ukraine and the West and denying claims about Russia. Yeah, I mean, I think that we're learning a lot about the power and potential of social media 
in a lot of areas online. Maria Bartiromo is the host of Mornings with Maria and Maria Bartiromo's Wall Street on Fox Business, also Sunday Morning Futures on Fox News Channel. And she has a new four-part series, Killer Apps, streaming now on Fox Nation. And I don't think that the creators created these platforms with a vision or an expectation that they would be used as a tool for evil or tool for war. However, over the last decade, we have seen the potential in terms of reach, in terms of influence that these platforms represent. And it is clear today, 20 plus years into their creation, that these platforms are in fact being used for evil. And I would remind you of the initial catchphrase of Google when it was first created and when it first went public. And it was Google, don't be evil. So I do think that in the early days of this this platform and this company, that the visionaries did understand the potential influence and reach that existed for good and for evil, because that, in fact, was their catchphrase. Today, it's very common to see these platforms be used for evil. In fact, not only was it quite evident during the initial run-up to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but it is quite evident every day from communist China. The CCP has been using social media to further its messaging. They use sites like the Global Times and Jinma News to pretty much be the mouthpiece for the CCP. It's not media, it's propaganda. And these propaganda sites are you know, raging throughout Twitter and Facebook and all sorts of social media right now. So you do have a fair amount of propaganda. I also think that the CCP follows the U.S.'s uh, political debates and jumps on them. So you've got, you know, bots and you've got, you know, spokespeople, mouthpieces for a communist agenda throughout social media. So there's certainly an element of that has been used for evil purposes, and we are seeing it again today. When it comes to disinformation, whether it's election disinformation, vaccine information, these kinds of things that other regimes are posting, as you say, you know, what can be done about that without infringing on free speech rights, though? Well, I think that that is the bottom line, free speech. What has happened here is social media is censoring information. So you're actually seeing free speech get censored. And it's a situation where social media has decided that their platforms will be the arbiters of truth and has decided to, in fact, take a side in many debates. We saw that in the 2020 election where there was a censorship of people just asking questions, questioning, you know, why, for example, they stopped counting and then started up again the next day. Or you also had censorship of COVID-19 and the origins of COVID because social media and big tech decided that they knew better and they wanted to side with the narrative that they believed when in fact now months later we recognize that in fact all of the circumstantial evidence points to the lab leak out of the wuhan virology lab was in fact true 
And so and we don't we don't know, obviously, for sure, because the CCP will not allow us into China to to investigate. But, you know, why was social media deciding that anyone who raised a question about the origins of COVID-19, why were those people censored? So social media has risen to a point where they are all powerful and it's very dangerous in terms of what to do. The lawmakers want some accountability. Marsha Blackburn and Richard Blumenthal have come out with a bill, which they do believe will go for a vote. And Marsha Blackburn told me just the other day that she thinks that it will move forward. And what it does is it protects data. There are provisions that require a tech company to be upfront in terms of their algorithms, putting forth, you know, they're forcing a duty of care, forcing a provision that requires the company to explain the algorithm and what it is gathering. So that's that's just part of it. But not everything on social media is disinformation. Today we're going to talk about three reasons that kids sneak snacks and what you can do about it. Jennifer, a registered dietitian, posts Kids Eat in Color on Instagram, an example of the kind of helpful resource you can find, along with a window to other worlds and perspectives, including the lives of celebrities. Sometimes the thing we want most in life is the best thing that never happened. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who once dreamed of an NFL career, opening up in an Instagram post after his pre-kickoff role at the Super Bowl. But the Internet is also rife with influencers promoting all kinds of products and exotic destinations while not necessarily living glamorous lives themselves and often using filters to look better. And the list of dangerous paths and deadly trends is now well documented. In killer apps, Maria interviews parents who've lost children, including a father convinced that his daughter's initial searches about depression led to more and more content about self-harm and ultimately her suicide. This is occurring a number of times in, in different areas, not just about suicide. But if you go on YouTube right now, I mean, unfortunately, there is a how-to video on everything. There is a how to kill myself, how to slit my wrists, as well as how to, you know, make a casserole. I mean, it's, it's absolutely dangerous to have so many how-to videos out there that can be accessed by children who may not be able to handle some of these, for example, quote-unquote challenges. I mean, on, on other sites, you know that there was a social media challenge to, you know, how many laundry detergents can you swallow? Another, another challenge was, you know, how well can you jump out of a moving vehicle and land on your feet and then do a dance? Another one is, you know, how, how well can you get your belt and tie your belt around your neck? And, and, and not uh, stop breathing. I mean, these are some of the things that are pushed out there. And, you know, unfortunately, there are vulnerable children who are taking in this content and acting on it. So, yes, there are parents that I've spoken with who say that their children were driven toward depression, driven toward suicide. And when they would um, try to reach out to find help, to find some, in fact, supportive sites, they were faced with even more content that was destabilizing. And, and that is why so many lawmakers are saying, look, we need some kind of boundaries in place, even while they are cognizant of 
the freedom and liberty that they want to ensure continues with our freedom of speech. So I, I think that they're looking at the destructive areas of social media and trying to come up with solutions that put some accountability in place for the platforms that allow these, these kinds of things to exist. We haven't touched yet on the the criminal activity that happens, for instance, drug cartels um, recruiting teens for human trafficking or drug trafficking. You know, that kind of recruitment, is is it hiding in plain sight on an app like like TikTok? How does that happen? It it really is hiding in plain sight because the um, drug cartels know very well who their customer is. I mean, these are young people who are using TikTok. And what they're doing is they're taking pictures of stacks of money and putting it on social media and on TikTok specifically and saying, I have some of the ads um, that I was sent from various sheriffs. And, and they're putting pictures of stacks of cash on, on TikTok and they're saying, seven heads in Del Rio, a uh, thousand ahead. And, and people recognize what that means. It means you've got $1,000 ahead. I've got seven people who need to be transported from Del Rio. I've got a car. I need a driver. And these kids who don't have driver's license, they're, you know, 13, 14, 15, they are seeing, oh, gosh, this is an easy way to make some big money. Um, I'll, I'll go be that. They're responding. And then what's happening is they are the getaway cars for these uh, illegal migrants and illegal transportation of illicit narcotics. Uh, and these kids are American citizens who were, uh, you know, with hours and hours of screen time on TikTok, figured, well, let me do this and let me do it three and four and five times a day, back and forth from the border to Houston. And then, of course, once the migrants are in Houston, they go wherever they want. And they were, they got away. They weren't processed. It wasn't. I mean, look, we have a structure in place, obviously. We issue one million green cards a year, uh, but there are about a million people now in the last couple of years, up, up to uh, 900,000 to a million people that just get away. And they're seen on surveillance cameras. If they came into the country, we don't know where they are. And oftentimes, they're in those vans with a 15-year-old kid driving the van because the 15-year-old saw the ad on TikTok. Uh, it's a really eye-opening series that you have streaming now on Fox Nation, Killer Apps. Maria Bartiromo, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. Here's a look at the week ahead. Tuesday. President Biden delivers his first State of the Union address as his administration deals with the continuing pandemic, inflation, and the new war in Ukraine. Due to a lower number of coronavirus cases, all members of the House and Senate will be able to attend the president's speech if they choose to. Also on Tuesday, Texas kicks off the first round of primaries for the 2022 midterms. Voters will select their respective party's nominees for governor, attorney general, several dozen congressional seats, as well as other statewide offices. Wednesday. The season of Lent begins with the observance of Ash Wednesday. For many Christians, it's a reminder of human mortality and a time for reconciliation with their God. Thursday. SpaceX is scheduled to launch another Falcon rocket carrying a payload of Starlink satellites to increase its capability of broadband internet access. 
There are currently more than 2,000 of the satellites in orbit. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Rich Dennison, Fox News. the news now you can with instant updates from fox news for amazon alexa just say alexa play news from fox in fox news it's the latest when you need it on demand from fox news and amazon alexa rate and review the fox news rundown on apple podcasts or wherever you listen it's time for your fox news commentary robert jeffress What's on your mind? We're witnessing the outbreak of military conflict of a kind and on a scale the world has not seen since World War II. We are watching a devastating invasion unfold in real time. Visceral and disturbing images stream out of Ukraine every moment as Russian forces bombard and assault Ukrainian city centers. It can be difficult to process events like this. We need a biblical lens through which to view these events. So I want to remind you of some basic truths to help you navigate these extraordinary times. First, remember that Putin's evil is no match for God's sovereignty. In the end, Vladimir Putin is no more than a piece of lint on the pages of history that God can flick away at any moment. The Bible teaches that nations rise and fall at God's command. As God revealed to the Old Testament prophet Daniel, empires would rise and fall, each failing to establish itself permanently. The kings and kingdoms of this world are like the changing of the seasons. They rise and eventually they all fall according to God's will. Nothing catches God by surprise or thwarts his ultimate purpose. As Psalm 33 tells us, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever and the plans of his heart to all generations. Second, we should realize that although the end may be near, that doesn't necessarily mean the end is here. Russia's invasion of Ukraine is an awful display of needless aggression by a glory-hungry dictator. But these events probably do not herald the end of the world. This terrible conflict is much more likely to be yet another of what Jesus called the beginning of birth pains that characterize our age. Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of wars, instances of nations that will suddenly rise up against other nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. It is true that birth pains get worse and increase in intensity as the birth approaches. We are closer now to the end of history and the return of Christ than ever before. Yet we do not know whether the return of Christ is one year or 1,000 years away. It is simply not for us to know. Finally, we should recommit ourselves to praying that God will pour out his grace on the innocent people of Ukraine and pour out his judgment on Vladimir Putin and his evil forces. 
We do not know when this world will end, when our civilization may unravel, or even how long our own life will be. So there is no time to waste in making Christ known and sharing the eternal hope we have in Him. Jesus promises us the only safe haven from war and the only kingdom that will experience unending peace. This is Robert Jeffress for Fox News. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.